And uh, that day's coming. doesn't matter what this world thinks, says, or does. There will be a day when everyone will bow to King Jesus. Oh, how much better it is to do it willingly now uh, than uh, to have to do it at the end, having rejected Christ. Oh, may we be sharing the good news with everyone we can. Turn to the book of Revelation, if you would. We'll be there shortly. I do want to make mention of the fact that we do have our CDs on the back table. And unlike last night, when my wife was not with me, we do have the credit card and debit card stuff working. So uh, if you want to stop back and uh, that's your method of payment, that's totally fine. Uh, The song I sang tonight, Time Well Spent, is uh, on this CD entitled I Am Free. And this was uh, our best-selling CD for a number of years and has a variety of songs on it, including Don't You Fear, How Great Thou Art, uh, It's Your Turn, Blueprints, a number, uh, I Was the Thorn is another one that a lot of people request. And then our newest album is What a Journey by the Everson Family. And I could have said the Everson Trio because that's what we are, but uh, Apple Music and uh, iTunes and all that stuff, Spotify, they're really picky. So in fact, there's a difference. You can find the Everson Family and the Eversons are two separate artists. Uh, Benjamin Everson and Ben Everson and Ben Everson Music are three separate artists, and you can't fix it. I mean, there's even big popular singers out there in the mainstream who have multiple accounts because we're so advanced in our technology that we can't change a name. Uh, But anyway, having said that, uh, it is us, it is uh, the trio, and uh, all the songs that you'll be hearing from us pretty much this week, with maybe one or two exceptions, are on that album back there. And then again, the last, uh, last night I mentioned the 50 by 50 campaign, uh, whereby I'm coming up with 50 new a cappella songs by the time I'm 50. Uh, if you go to our website, beneverson.com, click the big five. I'm going to change that logo tonight away from five to 50 uh, and on our website, but you can find out all about that. It officially kicks off in December, so I'm actually actively doing stuff, arranging and recording now. And uh, the first new a cappella song that I will be recording uh, will come out uh, the 1st of December. So we're really excited about that. Revelation, the book of Revelation. One way that you can, uh, well, here's just a little bit of a mental tidbit for you. It's not the book of Revelations, right? It's not plural. (laughs) Go to Revelations. Uh, it's It's not Revelations. It's the Revelation, okay, because this is a revelation of Jesus Christ, Uh, And it's not John's revelation, unless I guess in a sense it is in the sense that he's the one that received it, but he's not the one that like revealed it. Jesus reveals it. And uh, there's all kinds of interesting things about this book. In fact, Revelation is the only book in the Bible where you're given a specific promise for a blessing if you'll just read it. And uh, sure, there's things that can be difficult to understand in the book, but, uh, but we can get a blessing for reading it. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 14. It's Tuesday night, so I'll let you remain seated uh, yet, all right? But Revelation chapter 3, verse number 14 says this, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, by the way, it's my personal opinion that that's the pastor. All right, angel's a messenger, a sent one, right? Um, Similar to a pastor who brings forth the word of God. I don't know if you've thought of your pastor as an angel or not. His wife's shaking her head. All right, all right. My wife would be shaking her head too. But, uh, you know, not in, not in kind, but, you know, in office kind of thing. But uh, that's, that's not, I'm not dogmatic on that, all right? But under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen, and I do believe that's the right way to pronounce it, amen, 
<clears throat> that's a little bit of humor there. Some people say amen, but I like amen. All right, but that, again, that's a fuss. If you remember Sunday morning, that's a fuss, not a funeral. <laughs> All right, um, let's see. Uh, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. You know, there's a few places in Scripture that I can remember growing up that confused me, and I didn't want to ask anyone about it because I didn't want to admit that I didn't understand it. I won't ask for a show of hands if there's any passages of Scripture for you that might be that way, but this was one of those passages because it didn't seem to make sense to me. Now, the part about Jesus knowing our works, you know, the church, oh, by the way, I do need to say this. These are seven, this is the last of seven literal letters that were written to seven literal churches. I understand some people take the approach that these are seven time, uh, kind of time zones or time periods in church history. And if you take that position, I, I really don't have an opinion one way or another on that. Uh, so you take that opinion, that's great. I don't mind that at all. Uh, I just, uh, I don't think that's unbiblical. Certainly the rest of Revelation is, has, uh, has meaning to it. Uh, so uh, some people would say, well, we're living in the Laodicean age. Okay, I know what they mean. But I do think that sometimes if we only think of them in that term, we can lose out on six of the seven messages because we think, oh, well, that doesn't apply to us. Well, first and foremost, these were written to seven literal churches just like here, just like, just like us here at, uh, in Sterling Heights. They were, they were written to be listened to and hearkened to. So when he says, I know thy works, he's saying, church, I know you. You know, before we get into the, the interesting part, can we just stop there for a moment and remind ourselves that there's nothing about our church. I know we've got visitors here from other churches and such, and that's great. We welcome you. But there's nothing about our church that Jesus doesn't know. There's no, there's, he knows and cares for every aspect of our local churches. And you know what, friends? That ought to be a huge encouragement to you tonight. Because sometimes we can get, we can feel a little bit lost because, well, there's so many different churches and so many different places, et cetera, et cetera. Well, first of all, there's not as many as you think uh, that are still remaining faithful to the Word of God. So don't rely on other people. Well, other people are preaching the Word, so, you know, we don't have to put the pedal to the metal. Well, no, let's put the pedal, pedal to the metal. But Jesus knows. He knows the struggles. He knows the difficulties. He knows uh, what it's been like since COVID. You know, that's a question that I ask pastors everywhere. Okay, so what was your church like before COVID? What's it after, after COVID, you know? And I get a variety of different answers. And some things are good and some things are challenges. Notice I didn't say bad. I just said challenges, amen? <laughs> right? Something, you know, our churches on average are a lot smaller than they were before COVID. But I've also heard this is prior to me asking your pastor about this, so don't think that I, uh, I, I'm talking about you specifically or he you know, told, told me about you guys. Prior to coming here this week, I, the answer was that uh, churches generally are smaller, but uh, a lot of people kind of flaked out. So they're smaller, but they're more serious about things. So you know, which way would you want it? Well, a lot of pastors and people I'm talking to kind of like it the, this way. Because even though there's fewer, 
we're a lot more serious about the things of God. And we can preach a whole message on that, right? Go to Gideon's men. I mean, uh, you can go to, you know, there's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. We've got an incredible God. We've got an incredible Savior. And He cares about your church and He knows you. That's a wonderful comfort. But this part confused me, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot. It kind of seems like Jesus is saying that he wants us, if we can't be on fire for him, that he wants us, you know, cold and dead and sinful like the world. And it just doesn't seem to go with what we know of his character. Now, clearly, clearly, if we uh, come across something that's difficult to obey in Scripture, we understand it correctly, but it's hard to obey, well, then our job is not to try to you know, rearrange Scripture to accommodate us, but it'll rearrange us to obey Scripture. But we've got to make... <laughs> Thank you, brother. I heard that. <laughs> Some of you didn't hear. He said, Amen. Nice. <laughs> I also noticed you all have a little bit of a sense of humor here. I've noticed that. Uh, but I've noticed that in your pastoral staff, too. So I, we, we, we get along pretty well. <laughs> But, but what I'm trying to get across here is that it doesn't seem to go with the rest of what Jesus seems to say because we really don't see in Scripture Jesus saying, I want you to be evil. As we look at this, though, you know, sometimes we have a tendency, as I pull out my glasses here, sometimes we have a tendency to take our 21st century glasses and we put them on and we kind of read our Bibles and we superimpose things on the scripture that aren't really there. So I want to submit to you something here. First of all, it's kind of a two-step process here tonight. But I want to ask you this question. Where in the passage does it say that hot is good and cold is bad? Because I would submit to you that it doesn't say it anywhere in the passage. We're assuming that into the text. Now, it's natural because generally speaking, we think of being on fire for God, right? We want to be on fire for God. And I don't have a problem with that terminology. We generally understand what that means. That means we want to be passionate. We want to be uh, uh, determined. We want to have motivation. We want to be following after the Lord as hard as we can. And in fact, this type of terminology is something that we use regularly in our sports, you know, sports stuff. You know, if he hits three, three pointers in a row, he's on fire. I remember playing a game from Nintendo, Super Nintendo, called NBA Jam. It was awesome. Still is. In fact, I talked to somebody about it, and a friend of mine is on staff at Pensacola Christian College. He came, lives down the street from us. He knocked on my door. Hey, man, come on in. He said, I got something for you. He had a big grin on his face. I said, what's going on, Nick? He said, I got something for you. Check it out. And he opens up this thing, and it was a Super Nintendo emulator that plays all the Super Nintendo games, you know? And he had gotten NBA Jam. So I can sit around and play NBA Jam. Now, since getting it, I've hardly played it because we're on the road, and I don't travel with it. But, uh, but that was a pretty cool gift. My wife, in a different time, I don't know if it was my birthday or was it my birthday or Christmas or, or just because you love me so much. What's that? It was Christmas, all right, I can't remember which one it was, but she got one of these little ones that's an emulator, and you can play Super Nintendo games on it, you know, because I'm really just a ninth grader. That's, that, that's where I stopped, right? But if you made three baskets in a row without the other team 
scoring, the announcer would come on and would say that exact thing with that kind of voice. He's on fire! I have another friend who goes to Comic Cons and, and, uh, and he met the guy who did the voice and he sent me him uh, greeting me on my Facebook Messenger with that voice. Let me tell you, that's pretty cool. Just got to say. But I sneaked another one in there. Didn't you hear it? I just said that was pretty what? Pretty cool. All right, so hot, I'm being on fire is good. Sometimes if you're cool, I mean, that can be good too, can't it? How about, I know it's hard to think about now, but in the dead of summer, we had an abnormally warm summer, right? We did too. Well, you come in from mowing the lawn or whatever, tall glass of ice water. There's nothing as refreshing. Now, Coca-Cola wants us to think that, you know, that's how you get refreshed. But uh, truly, that ice, that cools it off, right? See, hot can be good. Cold can be good. That hot water is what makes your juice of the gods in the morning, little G, okay? But uh, coffee drinkers unite, okay? Any coffee drinkers out there? I'm just curious. Okay, all right. I thought you'd be out there, all right? Amen. I get my hot shower. It's how I wake up in the morning. Some of my boys uh, have been studying these different things about uh, uh, waking your cells up and like how, you know, your body healing itself and this whole thing about, you know, jumping in cold ice baths and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, you do that. You leave me with my hot shower in the morning. But cold water's good too. See, Part of the reason I was so confused is that I kind of had thought that cold was bad and hot was good, but it doesn't say that in here. What are they then? Why would he say that? Well, I can tell you this, both of those temperatures are usable, right? I mean, hot water is good for something, cold water is good for something, they're different, but they're usable. You know, uh, it might be helpful to understand what was going on there at Laodicea. Laodicea was part of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had a lot of cool stuff. There I am using that terminology. They had a lot of cool stuff. They had technology. I mean, some of their roads still work. That's amazing. And I will insert sarcastic comment here about Michigan being under construction all the time. Right? <laughs> but the roads still work. In fact, they would find springs that would bubble up out of, the, out of the ground and they would build aqueducts to transport that water down into the cities. Many of the cities, they would find hot water. In fact, my wife grew up uh, some of her life, much of her life in central Mexico in a city and state named Aguascalientes, which is kind of like New York, New York. Aguascalientes, Aguascalientes. Well, Aguascalientes is made out of two basic words. Aguas, waters, right? Calientes, which is the adjective describing what the waters are, right? Which would be hot. There's hot springs there. In fact, we visited them. They built a huge, like, water park around it. And we went there. It was in the heat of the summer. It was like 190 degrees. And we thought, hey, you know, I've got a great idea. I said, what? What's a great idea? Let's go to the hot springs. Yes! So we went to the hot springs at 190 degrees and the waters are like 400 degrees and it's so hot. And so we jumped in and it was hot, let me tell you. In fact, they have so much hot water come out of the ground that they actually can uh, drain the entire park every Monday. So it's closed every Monday and they refill it on Tuesday. 
I'm being a little funny here. It was hot, I will tell you that, okay? Uh, but it was pretty amazing when, when uh, uh, it's dry there is the difference. And so when you get out and um, even if it's warm outside, the dryness of the air, the evaporation, you feel pretty cool. And then you can get back in and back out. A little bit of sulfur in it, so it has some healing, you know, medicinal qualities to it. But the point is simply this. There's still th this type of thing all around our world. And the Romans at Laodicea actually had two aqueducts that led into the city, historians tell us. One was hot water, like what I was describing, and the other was cold water. They found some cold springs from Hierapolis, if I remember correctly, which was about eight miles away, give or take. And they piped the hot water into the city and they piped the cold water in the city. But there was a problem. The problem was as the cold water went so many miles and the hot water went, I think it was five or six miles down into the city, something happened to the temperature. We're up in the prophet's chamber and, uh, and Pastor warned us and Pastor Aaron warned us too that it takes a long time for the hot water to get to, to you make a call for the hot water. Not let this, you turn it on, okay? Uh, but to, and it takes a while. Now, I don't know if it's because our evangelist friends were here because for the first couple nights, it was right there, which I was going to ask you about. I'm like, what's going on? Did somebody change something? Well, that I, our theory is that maybe it's because they were using water and it was keeping it more fresh. I don't know. But now it's doing the thing you told us it would do because I got up this morning and, and uh, experienced it. All right? It just, it just takes a while. Why? Because unless you have some kind of heating element or cooling element, distance affects the temperature of the water. So Laodicea had a problem. The hot water would do what when it was traveling to the city? It would cool down, exactly. The cold water would do what when it traveled to the city? It would warm up. So by the time both of these aqueducts got into the city of Laodicea, it was lukewarm. Couldn't do much with it. In fact, bacteria and all kinds of nastiness grows in lukewarm water, right? Because it's not cold enough to, to kill or make inert some of the harmful things. It's not hot enough to kill off the germs and the bugs or whatever. So the Laodiceans were constantly wrestling and struggling with, um, let's keep it, you know, intestinal difficulties. Actually, the, the word of God here describes because what does Jesus say? Verse 16. So then, exactly. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, see, he wants you to be cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. <laughs> the Laodiceans would have immediately identified with what he's talking about. The hot water isn't hot enough. The cold water isn't cold enough. And it ended up making the, the person who would drink that sick because it wasn't usable. Listen, friends, the first lesson, the first side of the coin we take away, I told you there's really two parts to this, right? The first side of the coin we can take away from this is that God wants us, our Savior wants us to be usable. And there are multiple ways to be usable because no two churches are exactly alike. Maybe you're a hot church. Say, well, Brother Ben, that's what we want to be, a church on fire for God, okay? Don't confuse the terminology. It's a figure of speech. I could say I have a frog in my throat. That doesn't literally mean that I ate a frog today, all right? It's a figure of speech. Any of you ever have butterflies in your stomach? <laughs> 
What buffet did you go to? <laughs> no, well, we want to be a hot church. Okay, well, maybe a hot church would be one that just really stands against the, the, the uh, uh, for good doctrine and, and such like that, and they're just kind of aggressive that way. But you know what? Maybe you could be a cold church. Well, Brother Ben, we don't want to be a cold church. No, I mean refreshing. Maybe you give people smiles when they come in, right? Maybe the fellowship just encourages somebody else that might be discouraged or despairing or whatever it is. And, and, and you're not a loud church. You're, you're, you're a refreshing church. See, you, no two churches are exactly alike because churches have their own personalities, just like people. Because we're made out of unique groups of people. And Jesus says, listen, I don't want you to compare yourself with a church down the street. I don't want you to compare yourself with some church on the internet. You be who you're supposed to be for the glory of God. You be who Jesus wants you to be. I'm not saying you can't have good fellowship or we can't have good fellowship with like-minded believers and other churches. Of course not. But let's not compare ourselves. You just be who Jesus wants you to be. You be who you are. It's easy in today's day and age to compare ourselves with other churches, isn't it? It really is, because people can do like this incredible, I mean, nowadays with all the automation that we can come up with, which isn't a sin, but all the automation we can come up with, we can create the illusion of having an amazing church service and nobody even has to be there. We could like get AI people to like sit in the, you know. Do you remember during COVID some churches? Oh, well, you wouldn't have seen this. I would have seen this because we did some of the live streaming with churches. We'd come and there'd be nobody there, but some, one church put cardboard faces out in, the, out in the congregation, you know. I saw that at some football games too. You could, you could buy like a cardboard cutout and sit in the end zone or whatever. Listen, churches are different. You be who God wants you to be. and He'll be pleased with you. Besides, comparing ourselves among ourselves is not wise. Hey, we can borrow brain, get a good idea from somebody else. That's a great, great thing, but don't try to be anyone else. Verse 17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. What's he talking about here? I know standard-wise, we, standard, we usually come to this passage and, and we say something along the lines of, uh, you know, Jesus doesn't want us to be on the fence, right? So he wants us to be all in or nothing, you know, and that type of thing. And I understand where we get that from. It's my opinion that we're doing that because we're misreading the passage slightly. We're thinking that cold is bad and hot is good and in the middle is worse. But that's really not what it says. It's not, there's no assignment of cold anywhere being bad. So if we got to put that, we got to leave that interpretation aside and keep going in the passage. Well, Laodicea was uh, interesting for a number of reasons. Another reason was it was kind of at the crossroads of, of, you know, all roads lead to Rome, right? That was the statement of the day. And as you would travel towards Rome from multiple places in the, uh, not kingdom, but in, what am I trying to say? The empire, thank you. Uh, you would come across Laodicea, and, and it was the crossroads of multiple roads, that's why they call it crossroads. And, um, uh, and so you could trade and you could get supplies and all this. And they were famous throughout the empire for the wool that they would uh, take off of the sheep and make these incredible overcoats. We would call them overcoats or cloaks. And it was just this rich 
uh, a deep black wool, like ba ba black sheep, have you any wool? Yes sir, yes sir, three max full. I haven't thought of that in a long time. That came out of nowhere, right? But they, they were luxurious and, and everybody wanted one. In fact, if you came across someone and they were wearing one of these, uh, they, would, they would actually call them Laodiceans. And so, I see you're wearing the latest Laodicean. Yes, I am. Well, they weren't wearing a person. They were wearing that amazing over, overcoat or cloak. And uh, they got rich. I mean, they were a well-off city. Not only that, but they had uh, uh, that whole area, not just Laodicea, but the Phrygian area was also famous for an eye salve that you could mix and you could put it on your eyes and ladies, it would make you more beautiful, you know, and for everybody, it would, it would enhance your vision. At least that's what they claimed. It's like a infomercial at 1230 at night, right? <laughs> like, hey, put this on your eyes, it'll be amazing. I mean, that, they were kind of known for that. They made a ton of money. And in fact, historians tell us that they were so confident as a city in their own self-sufficiency that when their city was almost destroyed by a natural disaster, they turned down the Roman government offering to rebuild them out of federal funds. <whistles> Who's going to turn down a bailout, you know? Well, they, they did because they're like, we don't need it. We have need of nothing. If we go back to verse 17, when Jesus is saying, because thou sayest, who's the thou? Well, the thou is who he's talking to, right? Who's he talking to? Is he talking to the city of Laodicea? He's not talking to the city. He's talking to who? The church. But he says, thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods. Thou sayest, the church said, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He's saying, listen, the church, the church, he's telling them, you're thinking just like City Hall. You see, just as the temperature of the hot water would take on the ambient atmospheric temperature around it as it got down into the city, just as the cold water would uh, take on the atmosphere, the ambient temperature of the, of the atmosphere around it as it made its journey into the city, so had the church adopted the ambient temperature of, this, of the culture around them and became lukewarm, unusable, because they started thinking just like the lost. You know, friends, I, I know that many times we come to Laodicea and we think of Laodicea as the apathetic church. Well, we can still probably say that, but there's a reason. I think it'd be better to think of them as a church that became just like the world around them and how they thought. And you know what, friends? If the seven letters of the churches are indicative of seven church ages, it still applies. Because as we look around at the churches around us and we see so many that used to stand for the truth now, they're just adopting what the world around them thinks. You know, friends, this is something that can creep into our hearts and minds easily. Can I pick on a couple things before we go here? One way to view the church is by viewing nickels and noses. Success is nickels and noses. In other words, money and attendance. 
That, that's not how God defines success. Now, it's not wrong to have more people in your church. <laughs> it's not wrong to pay the bills either. That's a good thing. Those are good things. But those aren't the benchmarks of success. The benchmark of success is faithfulness. It's fidelity through the truth of the Word of God and Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if there's only five of us left in the church. I mean, I, we're going to be faithful. That's what God says is success. I don't want to start thinking like the world around me in terms of success. In terms of all the moral issues, well, that's, I mean, that's easy to apply, right? Our world says this, and you know it's only going to be a matter of time until many churches start just kind of parroting it because they're after uh, notoriety, they're after nickels and noses, like I just said. Listen, friends, we don't want to start thinking like the world around us. In fact, that's why he says in verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. See, he's giving a kind of a nod to the overcoats that they would wear. Don't, don't trust what your city's doing. Just because your city is well off doesn't mean you are. Could I dare make another application? Just because our military has technological advancement doesn't mean we're a healthy country. And it certainly doesn't mean that we're a country following after God. Now, I understand this is, that's a secondary application, okay? Because he's not talking to a nation here. I know that. But we have a heritage unlike any other nation on earth. I think as a country, we're just as strong as the churches that make her up. In fact, wasn't it um, one of our French friends who came over and said, uh, started talking about the goodness of America and the greatness of America? I look for it everywhere. I'm not going to remember the whole paragraph, although I used to know it. But it wasn't until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness. And then he leads into that famous quotation. There's a whole thing. you got to check it out, right? America is great because America is good. If America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. But in context, it's not talking about even the overall moral fiber of the country. It's specifically talking about churches and their pulpits. Listen, I'm a patriotic person. I'm grateful for my country. Don't get me wrong. But I really believe that it's the churches of America who've let her down. And we don't want to be like that. We want to be a, a, a lighthouse. As many lights are going out and compromising and thinking just like the world, may we be a lighthouse that says, you know what? By God's grace, with God helping us, we're going to just keep standing on the truth and holding forth the truth. Very quickly, read, let's read this and we'll be done tonight. As many as I love, oh, that the, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see, right? He's talking about that medicinal eye powder that they would, that would put on. Oh, I can see better. I don't know if it worked or not. I don't know. My research didn't tell me that, but they certainly thought it did. And he said, hey, put on some spiritual eye powder. What was it, vitamin A or vitamin K or something that they said was in carrots and and in World War II, they said that's how they, we had developed, or was it the British who had developed radar, but they didn't want to tell the enemy, they didn't want to let that out. And so they said, well, we feed our pilots carrots because it helps their eyesight, which has a little bit of truth to it. But they were really covering up the fact that they had developed either a radar itself or a better form of it. You can check that out. It's pretty fascinating. But Jesus says, put on, you know, take some, some spiritual vitamin K, <laughs> right? 
Is it A or K? Okay. I heard both, so I'll just keep going. <laughs> as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now look at this. Here's this is what I wanted to end tonight. Because to me, this is scary. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him, will sup with him, and he with me. Wait, 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 wait. A lot of times we think of this as like a call to the unsaved, right? Behold, I stand at the door and knock, right? In fact, there's that famous painting of Jesus standing outside the heart's door, right? Maybe some of you have that or you know what I'm talking about. Jesus looks really Italian in that painting. I can pretty much guarantee he didn't look that way, all right? <laughs> but it's not a sin. It's not a sinful painting at all. That's not what I mean. I'm just, all I'm saying is that he probably didn't look that way and he probably wasn't six foot four either. But whose, whose door is he knocking on? In context, it's not the lost man. It's the door of the church. Wow. That means churches who name the name of Christ can get in such a position that they lock the Lord out of their own church. You know what, friends, tonight, I believe we've seen that. I've been doing some research, and I kind of have to stop because it discourages me too much. I've been doing research. How many churches do you think? I don't have this answer yet, okay? And I don't know if I'll ever have an exact answer, but how many churches in our country really are preaching the truth? You ever wonder that, at least? You see all these statistics. America is 59% Christian. <laughs> that is not true. How many churches are really preaching the truth? So I've just been looking up churches, churches that I would think, oh, that, that, you know, I might disagree with them on this or that or the other thing, but surely they're preaching the gospel. And then they're like, you know, doing Easter plays with, uh, you know, based on the Lion King from Disney, you know, and all kinds of craziness and, and stuff. And I'm like, oh, goodness, this is terrible. This isn't the gospel. This, this is weak entertainment and it's blasphemous. I could go on and on, but like I said, I can't dwell on that. It gets too discouraging for me. But we've gotten so wrapped up in our own minds and trying to imitate what the culture does that the Lord has to come back and say, hello, you left me out. Where does that start? It starts from just being, not being vigilant. So here's a question for you as we close tonight. I know none of us would like to imagine that we would ever be in that position, right? Where we could get so much like the world around us that we would, that the Lord would have to knock to be let back in. We never think that we'd be like that, but how does that happen? It's just a subtle drift. It's allowing other things to take the place of the Lord at the center of what we do and why we do it. Because he's both the purpose and the person. So the question for us tonight, and I know it's Tuesday night crowd. <laughs> you get extra spiritual brownie points for being here on Tuesday night. I don't have real brownies to give you for it, though, because they're not on my diet. But uh, uh, it's, I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. I understand that. But that's important because if we don't, it's something we have to hold on to on purpose. Let's put it that way. I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed tonight. Maybe here tonight and You've gotten tired. This world can certainly do that to us. 
you've gotten tired, maybe uh, you've seen uh, family or friends, people that you once knew who were faithful to the Lord, drift away and now you're surprised at where they stand and the fact that they don't stand perhaps and whatever it might be. You know, tonight, could I ask you to do one thing? Maybe go before the Lord in your heart this evening and just say, Lord, help me to be faithful. We ought to be praying for others, absolutely, 100%. But maybe tonight, you just say, Lord, would you help me to be faithful? Because but for the grace of God, we all can drift. We all can start thinking like the world around us. We see enough commercials and you can't avoid it. I mean, it's impossible unless you become a monk. And that's not God's will. But maybe a good heart check is what we need sometimes. Dear Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. It makes a lot of sense to see this passage this way, that you want us to be usable for you on the one side of the coin. And Lord, on that other side, we don't want to be thinking, we don't want our thought processes to just be, just be like the world. Then what good are we? It's like salt that loses its saltiness. And it's good for nothing. So Lord, in the midst of discouragement and situations as we look around our country that could cause us to despair, Lord, we look to you tonight. And we remind ourselves how powerful you are. If we'll just remain faithful to you, we'll see you do great and mighty things in our lives and the lives of those we love and in our churches. So Lord, as we go from here tonight, I ask that you would help us to be faithful. Just putting one foot in front of the other. Lord, you helping us. Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that you would convict them of that this evening. We'd love to hang around after the service and show them how they can know they're on their way to heaven. But Lord, I pray you'd give us a wonderful time of fellowship tonight and then safety as we go to our homes. Bring us back one more time. Lord, we ask tomorrow night as we fellowship around music and your word, and we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.